0: All right, today I want to talk to you about uh, something that's it's a part of who we are, it's a part of the DNA of this church, uh, and um, I want to talk to you about no one fighting alone. Today's our group expo, we'll do this this Sunday and next Sunday, and Cliff, I am going to start at that alternative beginning. Uh, if you are in version, you might want to just skip down a ways, there's a bunch of stuff there that, that I was planning on talking about this morning, but over the weekend I've just been praying and kind of meditating on it, I'm just going to start at a different place. Um, about... 12 years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, the phrase or the uh, the slogan, if you will, or the motto, no one fights alone, just kind of came out on a Sunday morning on this platform. Uh, and we spent a few weeks exploring what that looked like. And, and I don't know, back in those days, we, we pulled a video in, and it was a video. And I, tried, I, I pulled the video up this week. and was going to look at it. I was going to try to show it this morning, but it's so grainy that it, it's just really not quality, and so I'm going to try to tell you what the video was all about, so you may remember it. But basically, it's about, it's, it's in Africa, it's in, a, it's in a, uh, a high desert area, the plains area of Africa, and there are lions and tigers and bears and all that kind of stuff there, and, but this particular story is about a herd of, of water buffalo, and they're walking down this path along this lake, and they come up over a rise, and here's this pride of lions, and they stop and turn and start to run, and the lions give chase, and the lions separate a young water buffalo calf away from the rest of the herd. And they basically tackle it, and when they do, they fall down into the, into the water in the lake. And so there's three or four lions on this buffalo calf, and they're trying to, trying to kill the calf so they can have something to eat. And, and then they start trying to pull it out of the water, and a crocodile comes up and grabs a hold of the buffalo calf. And so you've got three lions pulling on the front end of this calf and a big crocodile pulling on the back end of the calf. And, and then out of nowhere, this is, goes on for a couple of minutes there, um, here comes the buffalo. And these water buffalo come down and they run the lions off. The, the little calf can get its feet and gets out of the water and gets away from the crocodile and it joins the, the, the herd of buffalo and it's safe and, and all that. It was a beautiful picture of what we call our motto and that is no one fights alone. How an entire herd went to, the, went to the aid of one of its younger, weaker group members. And so I want to kind of take that today and kind of build on that just a little bit with what I want to talk to you about, especially today being the expo. Um, last Sunday, Ed Lewis and I were talking. He was sharing something that, that he had this uh, about hyenas. We were talking about it and, and how hyenas will... They don't just pack and run and try to tackle something. They run and they nip at it. And so I pulled up some videos this weekend, and I watched, I watched hyena after a hyena. Instead of running and trying to tackle it like lions do, they would just run up and they were chasing this weaker uh, member of whatever thing it was trying to eat. And instead of grabbing it and dragging it down, they would just nip at it and nip at it and nip at it until it got so weak that they could pull it down. And, as I, looked at, and I looked at all this in the animal kingdom, and I thought about, you know, what I wanted to say to you this morning, I want to begin by asking you this question Have you ever felt like you're being chased by the enemy? You say, Well, that's a stupid question. We're all chased. But, you know, sometimes you feel it more pointed than others. Sometimes you just feel like you're being chased all over the place. Jesus recognized this when he was on this earth, but there was a point in time when he comes and he looks down over Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And they go, what, you know, what's, why are you crying? He, and he said this, he said, he said, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And I don't know about you, but there are just those times in our lives that we find ourselves in seasons where we just feel like we're being harassed on every side. Sometimes we feel like that water buffalo cap where we've got a lion that's got a hold of us on the front end trying to, trying to drag us into the water, and then you've got a crocodile coming up and biting us on the back end trying to destroy us from there. We're getting pulled six weeks a Sunday, and it's like a tug-of-war, and we're the rope. You know, and as we think through this, as we think through this and we look at this kind of stuff, there's a couple of things that I just want to bring out. The first thing is this. Every time in, in, in the animal world, When a predator begins to try to stalk its prey, it never goes after the strongest. Never. It always wants to separate someone out from the rest of the herd because they know that if they can separate a weaker animal away from the herd, they're easy prey. They're easy prey. And truthfully, had not the herd of buffalo came back to the aid of the little buffalo calf, that calf would have died in that river. And would have been the, the, the meal of the, the pride of lions and possibly the alligator too. Or one or the other would have won out. But that, that crocodile, that uh, water buffalo would have died. When the hyenas are chasing something for food, they separate it out. They try to get it away. But they never chase the strongest. And they run into the herd, but their, their entire intention is running into the is to scatter it. The entire intention of the animal kingdom when a predator attacks a herd of buffalo or, or whatever it's attacking is to separate it out. You look at they chase a bunch of hyena, uh, a bunch of impalas. They try to separate it out, get a weaker, younger, smaller, something that they can overpower quickly. The entire intent in the animal kingdom of the predator is to separate, isolate, and destroy. It's no different in the spiritual kingdom. Satan knows he's going to have a very difficult time on a Sunday morning in a service like this. He has a very difficult time attacking a herd of people in a service like this. But yet when you leave this place today and you may not have any contact with another person from your your pride, if you will, this week, or your tribe or your group, maybe he can isolate you throughout the week. Maybe tomorrow morning when you get to work, you have some negative news that hits you right in the face. Maybe maybe you lose your job. Maybe you get a demotion. Maybe you you wind up that they're going to cut your pay by 50% or something like that. All of a sudden, now you've got this new situation and you're having to deal with it knowing full well that you already feel harassed anyway. But now the enemy wants to cut you out of the herd. Maybe you're looking at your calendar this week and you're going, I don't know how we're going to get things done this week. We're going this way, we're going that way, we're running here, we're running there. One parent's taking this kid going here, another parent's taking this kid and going there. We both try to try to converge on this other thing and we're meeting, we're doing all these different things and we're running here, we're running there, we're trying to work full-time jobs, we're trying to do all of this. We're preoccupied with our schedule. And because of that, the enemy just goes, I don't really have to do much to separate because they're already separating themselves. So what does he want to do? He wants to isolate us even more. We're already separated out. And so he wants to isolate us from the rest of the strength. And it's real easy for us to get spiritual and go, well, I have the joy of the Lord in my life. And that, that joy is my strength. And that is a true statement. But it manifests much easier when you're doing it in community. It's very hard if you're isolated and alone to find yourself in a place of joy. Very difficult. Especially when you've got one predator trying to pull you one way and another predator trying to pull you another way and you're the rope in the tug of war of life. It's why the writer in Hebrews chapter 10 said this to us. He said, we cannot and should not stop meeting together. And he said, as some are in the habit of doing. We have to continue to get together. You say, say, well, Phil, I, you know. I don't know that I can do that. I don't have much time. And here's here's what I want you to understand. One of the the struggles that we've had at Gen U for a lot of years has been a lack of connectivity. We didn't have a a network of community set up. We didn't have any. But it's coming and it's working and it's here now. But I can tell you this. If all you do is come to church on Sunday mornings, you you will find yourself alone throughout the week. You cannot find connectivity just attending a Sunday morning service. It won't happen. You say, well, I'm an outgoing person. I don't, never meet a stranger. Great, wonderful. I'm not that. And I kind of envy the people that, that, that never meet strangers and can talk to people with ease because that's not my personality. But I can tell you this. I don't care how outgoing you are. If you're not involved in something that's connected to your spiritual life away from Sunday morning church, you will be disconnected and you will be alone and you will find yourself isolated and easy prey for the enemy. You say, well, you're just trying to push groups. Bingo, let's all stand for the benediction. (laughs) Because that's the truth. Group life, a network of spiritual life and spiritual connectivity is imperative. If we don't get into a smaller unit of individuals who, are, who make Generations United Church as a big group of people, we will all find ourselves isolated and alone and easy prey for the enemy. It takes connectivity. There's a lot of reasons why we're not, and I'm not going to go into all those kind of things, but I just want to tell you this. If you've ever been chased, if you've ever been cut away from the herd, if you've ever been dragged down into the mud and the mire like that little calf was, and while you're down another predator attacks you, if you're in a tug-of-war of life in multiple situations with multiple enemies and you're the rope, what happens? Well, you listen to that video. When I listened to that video, I kept hearing these voices in the background. as the people that's making the video. And two or three times they said, the calf is dead. The calf is dead. That calf is dead. Because three lions are on it. It's in the water and a, and a crocodile was trying to eat it from the back end. And it wasn't moving. I don't know about you, but there have been times that I've been down and out and I've been, I've been isolated and alone and I feel like I am the rope in, in the tug of war of life. And I've heard people make st- statements like that. They make comments. Maybe they didn't say, ah, the calf is dead or Phil is dead. And you get in those situations and you want to scream out and, you want, and you, want to, you want to do whatever you can, but the enemy's got this chokehold on you around your throat. And you hear other voices and spectators that are watching this unfold, and they You hear the voices going, "That's over. They're never going to get. They're never going to get through this. They're over. That's the end of it." Or maybe your voices sound something like this: "Well, you know, she's pregnant. And she's not married. He had an affair. Well, they've been both been divorced multiple times." He has a drug problem. She's a party girl. She's easy. He's an alcoholic. He lost his job. She's a single mom or he's a single dad. They file bankruptcy. Or maybe it's even more harsh. Maybe you've heard someone say this to you, that you're useless, that you're stupid, that you're dumb, that you're fat, that you're ugly, that you're just trash. Why Why do you think anyone would want to be someone like you? You see, the voices don't necessarily come in the form of a lion or a hyena or something like that. Sometimes it comes in the the form of people that are supposed to be friends. People that know us well, that say harsh things to us. And we're already in this struggle, we already feel like we're all by ourselves, and now someone is pronouncing a death sentence over us. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we pick up David, and David is fleeing from Saul. He just left Nob. And he's out he's, he's of place. He'd been, he went to Gath of all places. It's an interesting thing. David, David kills Goliath, who was from Gath. And then when Saul begins to chase him, he goes to Gath. Probably not, probably not the guy that people in Gath really wanted to see around their town. But yet he's there. And then everybody starts talking about him, and so he, he begins to, to pretend that he's lost his mind. He starts frothing at the mouth and, and all this kind of stuff. And finally they go, you've got to get out of town. You're going to bring all kind of bad mojo on us, so you've got to go. So David, it says that David flees to a place called Adullam. There's a cave there, set a series of caves. David flees to the caves at Adullam. He's in a cave. He's all by himself. 1 Chronicles 12, says this. Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army. David goes trying to flee from Saul, but he gets in the cave and he's all alone. What happens? Here comes the buffalo. Here comes the buffalo. He can't go back to, to Israel because Saul is there trying to kill him. He can't stay in Gath because the, the crocodile is telling him you're nuts and you've got to get out of town. So he goes to a cave in Adullam. And day after day, men heard where he was at, and men began to come to where David is. Now, you would be sitting here this morning going, well, yeah, but that's David. He was, he was in line for the kingship, and, and you know what? David had all these mighty men, and, these, and this, is, this, is what, this is what sustained David. But, but I want you to listen to the description of the people that came to David at Adullam. So David got away, 1 Samuel 22. David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down to join him. So family members, that's a great thing. Not only that, but get this, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. Now remember, the beginning of David's mighty men began at Adullam. It was some family members, and if you know anything about David's family, you know when David, went, David came into the, to the camp the day that he, that he killed Goliath, his older brothers are looking at him, and they're talking down, and they're sarcastic at him. They're, they're telling him, you, you're evil, you got, a, you got a dark heart, and what are you even doing here? You're spying on us, trying to, you're going to go back and tell on us, and all this kind of stuff. And David just goes, what did I do? I just brought you some cheese and some bread. So what did I do to deserve this? And then his older brother finds out that David said, hey, I'll go fight the lion. I mean, I'll go fight Goliath. And he's coming to David. You can't do that. He, that thing is nine feet tall. He's going to step on you like a bug and squash you. All this kind of stuff. But yet when David's alone in the cave, it's his family that goes to him. But not just his family. All the losers. All the vagrants. And the Bible descriptive from his misfits of all sorts. But yet they went. And from the misfits of all sorts came David's mighty men. Now, you say, well, I I don't want to be a misfit. But but yet get this, get this, guys. That's how Christianity began. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. What life? The life of following Christ. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. You may be here this morning thinking, well, if I had this title or if I had this degree, if I had this type of education, if I knew these people, then it would be different. My life would be different. But I'm here to tell you this morning that every single one of us in this house, we're deliberately chosen by God in our state of nobodiness. Okay? We're chosen by God to be his children. He's called us to the cave at Adullam to be his mighty men and mighty women of God. He chose the nobodies of the world to confound the somebodies of the world. So it doesn't really matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what heights that you've achieved socially or even economically. None of that stuff matters. What matters most is this, that you're a part of the body of Christ and you're a part of a local body of Christ and you even bring it down even smaller and get part of communities and and little tiny groups of individuals that you can do life together. Because it's those types of scenarios that God chooses and he elevates nobodies into mighty men and women of him. That's the whole point of what I'm talking about here. Here's the deal. Strong congregations, strong communities of faith are populated with current and former cave dwellers. That's what they're made up of. Listen. You want me to tell you what the beauty of Generations United Church is? That it's made up of a bunch of nobodies. We all have issues. We all have struggles. We all find ourselves and all kind of bad decisions from time to time. But at the end of the day, the thing that we know that we can find here in this community is that we'll be loved unconditionally, we'll be accepted without reservation, and forgiveness is ours for the asking with no bitter taste left in anybody's mouth. God takes a bunch of nobodies and builds a strong group of somebodies who become mighty men and women of God because we choose to unite together. They went to the cave where David was. He said, well, if I had a cave, I would go there too. Well, there's a cave. There's another cave. Every one of these tables represents two caves all around this building. Now, you can sit here this morning and you can, and you can be, an, be an island unto yourself. And I know what I'm talking about when I'm speaking to this this morning because I'm telling you straight up. For the vast majority... Of, the, of my 25, 26 years almost now of being a lead pastor. For the vast majority of that, I chose isolation. I chose, I chose being alone. I chose not to network. I'm the least networked guy in the ministry. And you know what? I used to think that was a cool thing. But I learned something a few years ago. That just as no one fights alone, you can't do ministry alone either. So about three years ago, I, I, I found myself connected to about five or six guys. They're all pastors. Different walks of life, different, different sized churches, everything. But we meet every Thursday morning. Every Thursday for the last three years, we've met every Thursday. And we just talk. There's no agenda. And we've, we've learned something about one another, and that is that we all need each other. We're all cave dwellers. And when we find ourselves isolated and alone, there's a, there's a network of people that we can fall back on. And I have friends that are not in the ministry as well that I can do life with. But being a pastor is, has a little different edge to it from time to time. And so sometimes you have to have somebody that, that's walked where you walk. That, can share, that you can share the, the ups and the downs and the trials and the tribulations of this vocation. It's no different from you. You want to find someone that's walked in the shoes that you walked. But here's what I know. If you sit in this building on Sunday mornings, and this is all you do every week, you just sit here for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday mornings, you're never going to find somebody to walk and do life with. You've got to step out of this. You've got to get connected. You've got to get in a group. You've got to begin to be a part of a smaller community of faith. You say, well, I've, I've tried that once before. Well, okay, then try it two, three, four, five, ten times. Try it until you find what clicks for you. You see, as Americans, we, 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 uh, we get bored real fast. We get bored real fast. I mean, we want, we want our, our, our breakfast in, in 90 seconds. So you pull out the Jimmy Dean biscuit, you pop it in the microwave, boom, it's done, and then you eat that thing. But we also want to do life that way too. We don't want—we don't have to wait on anything. We don't have to search for anything. We don't want to have to do any work, other than our job. Let me tell you something, guys. If you want to be a part of a community of faith that you don't have to fight in life alone, then you got to get involved in community. You got to get out of the Sunday morning service. Not just let that be your center of your Christian experience. And you've got to find you a group and you've got to get into a smaller community of faith. And then you do life together. And if the first one you try didn't work out that well, then you try a second one. If that one didn't work out, then you try a third one. The fourth one, the fifth one. You keep working at it until you find something that gels and, and that you can bond to. But don't just make Sunday morning your entire spiritual existence. Because none of us can survive that. I thought thought that I didn't need anybody as a pastor. I thought my successes early on would take me through my entire pastoral vocational season. But I've learned that it doesn't. And I've learned that I need men and women in my life to speak into my life and that I can listen to just as well as you do. You say, well, I'm more more of of a rogue. Well, there's nothing wrong with being a rogue as long as you don't wear it as a badge of honor. I'm not, telling you, I'm not talking about becoming a clone and, and have a mindless existence where you, everybody thinks alike. You've got to be able to speak your mind and, and say what you need to say and be heard. But you can find that. You can find that. Now, we don't need to be a horse's rear because you'll find yourself alone more often than not. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen. Everybody okay? Everybody good? I know this is not a typical point .1, point two, point three poem and let's say the benediction kind of a deal. But what does, what does strong congregations populated with current and former cave dwellers look like? It looks like Acts 2. They devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone around them sees what's going on. Wonders, miraculous signs. All believers were together and had everything in common. They, someone needed something. They would sell something and help, help that person out. They would meet, If they gave to anyone as they have need. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day they continued to meet together. Broke bread. What does that mean? Communion? No, that means dinner, lunch, breakfast, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Why did they enjoy the favor of all the people? Because people looked at them and said, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that type of camaraderie? Why can't I have that type of support? Why can't I have that type of of individuals that will help me when I need help? It's a simple reason. Because we choose isolation over community. We make the choice to go there. The community of faith is a living organism. It's not something that's dead. People are connected to it. Romans 12 tells us that we're members of one another, that we're together in this. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to build each other up. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to care for one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, we're going to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 says we're going to pursue one another's good. Galatians 6 Bear one another's burdens, Ephesians 4, to bear one another in love, to be kind, compassionate, forgiving toward one another, to submit to one another, to consider one another better than ourselves, to be devoted to one another in love, to live in harmony with one another. And the list can go on and on and on and on and on and on. But the real picture of what we're talking about is found in Acts 2. It's about community. It's about group life. It's about all the cave dwellers coming together in a bunch of little caves and doing life. You guys getting this this morning? When this begins to take place, there's a pattern that pops up that emerges. David's got all these cave dwellers, they've come, they're misfits, they're low lives, they're vagrants, they're all these kind of things. They've come and they've connected themselves to David. Later on, a little while later, the Philistines are at war with Israel. And David and his men were in the thick of the battle. And in the thick of the battle, David becomes weak. David becomes weak. He becomes exhausted. And this, this relative of Goliath called Ishbi benob now there's a name for your kid <laughs> right there. Name him Ishbi benob If you want to be a tough person, aim him Ishbi. Kind of like naming a kid Sue or a boy named Sue or something like that. I don't know. But here's what happened. Ishbi Benab was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds. He was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. Why? Because David was cut off from the rest of the guys. Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. I'm not talking about letting other people fight your battles for you. But I'm saying that there's going to be times in life when we are fighting through life that the battle gets too heavy and the giant is about to overwhelm us and we need an Abishai to step in. But if you're an isolated individual, there are no Abishais. Abishais come through cave dwellers coming together and becoming mighty men and women together. And then in the thick of the battle, when you feel like you're about to be overwhelmed, Abishai steps in and takes care of the giant. Read that story, 2 Samuel 21. It's a great story. When the lions are attacking the younger, smaller, weaker in the community, the community needs to surround the enemy and hook him with the horns of the big bull. That's what you see in that video. I remember that that big bull came in there and hooked that lion. And when he did, that lion went loop-de-loop-de-loop out across the plain. Sometimes we need a big bull to come in and take care of the giant that's attacking us. But that happens when we're a part of a community. That happens when we're together in group. Amen? Amen? All right, let's close this thing out. 1 Peter 5, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's a thought for you today, we quote that Oh, he, the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here's a thought for you, just because he's looking to devour you doesn't mean he gets to if you're in community the likelihood of being devoured by the enemy is much smaller than it is when you're isolated and alone. Nobody fights alone. Let's stand. Ecclesiastes 4. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. We need each other. We need community, and we need groups. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.